thank you for joining another episode of Inspired to Be. We have a very special guest today that we're so excited to have, and I'm going to turn this over to Doc Cynthia so she can introduce our new guest. Good morning, everyone. I'm so excited to introduce you to Serena Dyer. She is uh, a, what she and her sister wrote a phenomenal book called The Knowing. 11 Lessons to Understand the Quiet Urges of Your Soul. And I just have the goosebumps even t <laughs> even reading that. The book is so amazing. The book, uh, I can't even explain. I've written many books uh, as well. And I have to tell you, this book has touched me and Sherry. And I have uh, sent books over the weekend to, to people. Uh, there's a lot of people having so many issues right now with uh, entering life. Um, now that the COVID situation is changing so much for people. And I've just highly recommended your book, so we would like to applaud you 100% for this book. You, It was wonderful. Yes, congratulations oh, on you. your new book. Oh, thank you so much. Um, first, I'd like to acknowledge uh, our show is really about wellness and inspiration. And what impressed uh, Sherry and I is you've had so many challenges that you've discussed in the book. And you're a young mother and... You've lost your dad and your stepson and supported your husband through some difficult legal issues. And so many people are facing challenges and struggles today. I'd love to hear what advice you would give them and what are a few tools that you used daily to get out of bed and face the day with your resiliency the way you did at such a difficult time in your life. Yes. Well, thank you so much for the wonderful endorsement from both of you for our book. Um, I would say that, uh, you know, I have to be honest, and I and I think I was really honest in the writing process of, of our book. There was a lot of days, actually, where I I didn't think that I was going to be able to um, to stay connected to, to my highest self or to the part of me that I recognize as part of God. Um, there were a lot of days where I didn't feel spiritual. I didn't feel inspired, and I certainly didn't feel like I was on any kind of um, meaningful path. But I had this this awareness that um, that even though I felt as though I were drowning, um, really as a result of so many, like you said, of the circumstances that I found myself in, I had this awareness that within me, within all of us, we have a place that is peace. And I think that is because, you know, I used to hear my dad say this quote from Herman Melville from Moby Dick, where the line went, um, for as this appalling ocean surrounds the verdant land, so in the soul of man lies an insular Tahiti, full of peace and joy, but surrounded by all of the horrors of the half-lived life. And for me, I have this awareness that within me, within all of us, there is an inner Tahiti. Or for me, I call it an inner Maui because Maui is like my Tahiti. <laughs> but there is a part of us that is peace and that knows it. But so often, um, we do not come from that place because of the circumstances that are happening in our lives. And we choose to view it as though, you know, what? I, well, honestly, what I did was I started to convince myself that once all of the pieces of my life fell into place, then I could have peace. Even though I was raised to know the opposite is true. The opposite says I can have peace and then all of the circumstances in my life will fall into place. 
And it was like I was I was coming at it from the wrong way, and I knew that. But I think that having that knowing, having that awareness is honestly the thing that, that kept me from completely drowning. It's like I could keep my head just that tiny little bit above water because I had a part of me that knew that no storm lasts forever and that I did have a place where I could find peace no matter what was happening, you know, in my circumstances. And so my advice to anybody that's going through a tough time would be to become aware of that part of you that also can choose peace rather than whatever you're feeling, you know, because of your circumstances, because we all have that choice to make. Well, that had to be a process for you after your father passed away to get to that peace. I lost my dad, but it's been many years ago, and I remember feeling so selfish because I was so sad, and and I thought, how could I be so upset when he's in such a great place and he's going to always be here with me? So I know it took me a little while to for other people around me to have that understanding that I was I was happy, I was rejoicing that the that the fact that my father was in a better place and. I was able to connect with his spirit after he passed. Yes. yes, absolutely. And that's why I say that for me, you know, like there were a lot of days where I didn't feel hope, spiritual or I didn't feel connected because, of course, you know, we're human. Oh, right. Well, actually, we're, we're spiritual beings having a human experience. But in this human experience, I think it's normal to grieve. But I also think it's beautiful what you said, that you were able to have joy for him, that he was in this place. And I think that um, that losing anybody, it is both of those things, and it can be both of those things. But the more you can connect with the part of you that is joy, that knows that they are in a state of joy, I think the more you'll feel them, the more you'll have the signs and the synchronicities, and the more they'll show up in your life. Absolutely. Because, I agree. Yeah. <clears throat> well, yeah. I, I, I love uh, another part of the book because um, it reminded me a little bit of me because I... Um, raised my kids differently we we were they went to catholic school obviously where we were in san diego but i'm very spiritual and i'm always i was say i'm always saging things and trying new things and it made me kind of laugh because my kids were <laughs> my son's very spiritual but my daughter always was like oh man you know this isn't what we're learning in school and so um Obviously, you're, both your parents are amazingly spiritual. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us what lessons that you've learned from them or some tidbits that you're actually using with your children as well? Yeah, wow. So I would say um, that the greatest lesson that I've learned from my parents, from both of them, um, is really not something that they said, although they did, mm-hmm. but it's really more in something that they did, that they both did, um, and that is, they lived their dharma or Mm. another way of saying that is they came here with something that they felt called to do with a purpose that they had and they did not sacrifice that for anyone or for anything and my mom always said that her purpose was to be a mother and she's a mother seven times over and she's an incredible mother and that was her dharma and she fulfilled it and my dad he did not say to me go out and do um, whatever you love or, or what you're passionate about or follow your dreams while he was simultaneously sacrificing his own. Mm-hmm. He lived his dreams. He lived out what his soul called him to do. And I think that as a child growing up in that type of environment and witnessing that and witnessing that he did the work that his soul was 
was, you know, destined to do, even if it meant having to miss things or even if it meant having to give certain things up or having to make sacrifices, he had a sense of purpose that was greater than himself and he did it. And he didn't tell me, follow my dreams and not live his own. He lived his own. And I think that for children, um, you know, what your parents are doing sometimes is so loud that they can't hear what they're saying. And I didn't have to hear somebody say, follow your dreams, and then also see them not live their own. I got to have them say it and do it. And I think that on some kind of subconscious level, that gave me permission to do the same, permission to follow what I feel called to do. And that would be my greatest hope for my children. That um, I don't know if you could hear my four-year-old that was crying in the background a minute ago, but that my children can see me doing what I feel as though I need to be doing, even if it means sometimes mommy has to work or mommy can't always come to the door when they, when they need me to. It's like there's a sense of having a purpose and having something that I'm doing outside of just them. And I think it's really important for children to see that. But I also think even more than that, it's important for me to feel fulfilled and to be fulfilled because I hope that that gives my children the same sense of desire for themselves as well. Absolutely. I read in your book that you were raised to believe love will keep you connected in the afterlife. Is that true? Yeah, absolutely. It's it's the knowing that there is only one place that we all come from and that we all go to. And at least that is my belief. And, and it, it's not just a belief for me. It's something that I know. And that that place that we come from is God and right. that God is love. And we go back there. And that is who we are in our truest essence. Unfortunately, through the process of just living life so often, that link to God, to love, it gets a little bit rusty. And for some people, it gets completely rusted. But I believe that it's there for everyone and that the way we stay connected to the people that we've lost is through that place of love, that like attracts like, and that where they are now is in that state of love. And if we want to find them, if we want to connect to them, we have to be like them. We have to be like that energy, and that is an energy of love. So for me, um, I believe that we absolutely can stay connected to our loved ones after they have left the human experience and you know, I think of I think of life and being born and being um, you know incarnated in your lifetime. I think of it as like the classroom that that here we are in the classroom, but we all go home. As Ramdas used to say, we're all just walking each other home. Mm-hmm. And I think that we all go to the same home, and um, and some of us need more time in the classroom, and some of us need less. But I really do believe that this experience in this lifetime is, is just the lesson that our soul came to have so that we had an opportunity to grow and to expand oh. um, and that we then, you know, go home. A hundred percent. And it's funny because your friend and my friend, Av- Avi, <laughs> um, I, I went to Maui and did one of her workshops for her, um, I think about a year and a half ago in Maui. Um, and uh, we were talking about my mom had passed and, um, I would see these feathers all the time. We had we had spoken before she passed about how she could send me some kind of a message. Um, although she sends me a lot of different messages, um, made me think about that about what you put in your book about when you were experiencing things and about your 
uh, stepson and all these things were coming in your husband. But so I would see feathers all of the time. And it just made me think about what you were writing because she's certainly still, they're, they're still with us in so many ways um, and beautiful yeah. ways. And, um, and it's just finding, and I loved how you were talking about the man, we manifest, I see 11-11 all of the time. And sometimes we, we sort of manifest that ourselves, not knowing it. Can you talk a little bit more about your experience with uh, the messages or signs that you're seeing as well? Yeah, sure. Well, first, I just want to say that I'm um, I'm so sorry about your mom, but I am so glad that you are able to stay connected with her and still receive those signs because um, I think it makes the experience of living, mm. of still being in the classroom, um, a lot easier when we when we know that we continue on after we leave this this body. Um, yeah, hundred percent. I agree. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I had so many crazy signs and, you know, I guess the, the, the best example I can give for people that are doubters or people that, um, don't believe that, uh, our loved ones live on or that we live on after we die. Um, the best one I could give would be that, um, I went to a medium and I tell this story in the book, but I'll just sum it up here. Um, I went to a medium that, uh, is a Hay House author. Her name is Karen Noe. I went to her in New York with my mom and two of my sisters. And, um, and she's a very gifted medium. And, you know, obviously my dad was like a well-known person. So I had a lot of concerns after he had passed because I was getting messages from people that were claiming that they had a message from him. And, you know, a lot of it was just stuff that would be really easy to find on Google. So my concern was, you know, how do I weed out somebody that actually is giving me a message from him, which I want to hear from versus somebody who wants to kind of capitalize on, um, I don't know, on being able to claim that they're a psychic and getting a message from Wayne Dyer. You know, know, it was like kind of a little bit of a, um, I don't know, just a a uncomfortable experience. But with Karen, um, she, she was just, so authentic and she came so highly recommended so when we had the opportunity to go see her obviously we jumped at it and uh, I had a six-month-old baby at the time and my dad had passed away a month before um, before we went to see Karen and when we got there to her office um, one of the first things she said to me was congratulations uh, your dad is saying that you're pregnant and I felt like disappointed because I thought, well, there's no chance that I'm pregnant. I was still breastfeeding. I, you know, not to be graphic, but I didn't have a regular cycle or any of these things. So I just didn't even think there was a possibility. (laughs) And um, I kind of was like, well, I was disappointed because I thought, well, she must have heard something about me having a baby. So she just is like, you know, Mm -hmm. I don't know what, but she was confused or she was just reaching or something. Or maybe she had seen that I had just gotten married because my dad had posted our wedding video on his Facebook. So, you know, maybe she just assumed that, you know, for a lot of people after after marriage comes a baby. And I said to her, no, I'm not pregnant. Um, I just had a baby, though. And she said, no, no, your dad is saying that you're <laughs> pregnant. And I was like, but I'm not pregnant. I mean, I know I'm not pregnant. So I I don't know what to tell you. And she said, well, he's saying Fourth of July or fireworks is something about the fireworks on the Fourth of July, and I said, "Well, you know, every summer we would um, spend the Fourth of July together, and we would, you know, watch the fireworks. But 
I felt like I was like reaching, trying to find like something that lined up with what her message was. And anyway, um, she was like, I don't know, your dad is saying that you're pregnant and something about the 4th of July and the fireworks. So I was like, okay, well, we just kind of left it at that. But for the rest of the time with her, she was so incredibly spot on and accurate and said things that were unknown to anybody outside of our family and that were very personal and that sounded exactly like our dad. And so it was very clear that she, um, she was speaking to him. And so when we left her office, we stopped, my mom and my sisters and I stopped and got a pregnancy test. And I took it <laughs> and I was pregnant. And when I got back from, this was in New York, when I got back from New York, I, um, I made an appointment with the OBGYN and, you know, they say, when was the first date of your last period? And I was like, I don't even know. It was a very long time ago. And um, so obviously they took me right away because I had no idea how far along I was. And um, they did a measurement of the embryo. I was only like, I think, four weeks pregnant. I mean, it was like literally the absolute earliest that you could have found out was when she told me that my dad was saying I was pregnant, which is why I didn't even know. And anyway, my due date was the 4th of July. Oh. And so, <laughs> so um, my daughter, Windsor Wayne, poor girl, got Wayne as her middle name. Uh, she was born on the 1st of July. On the 1st? Um, <laughs> I love yeah, on that. The first. Yeah, which is actually my husband and my anniversary. So she came on our second wedding anniversary. Our second child in two years came on our second wedding anniversary. Um but uh, I feel like that's just such a <laughs> such a unique situation and such a unique sign because I didn't even know I was pregnant. So how could Karen have known? You know, and um, I think that it was such proof that that without a doubt um, she was getting messages from him and she was hearing from him and he was telling her things that I didn't even yet know. And um, I mean, and there were so many things like that. And and he would send feathers. Um, I know you said your mom uh, <laughs> sent feathers and he was there would be feathers that would appear. And actually, that's why for the cover of the book, my sister and I oh, chose. Um, I love the cover. The, that is so oh, funny. I didn't that, even notice the feather there. Isn't that yeah, funny? It's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. And it was because we the number one thing that we had written about that we ended up having to cut out, like, I don't know. 30 pages or something was about these feather signs that we had gotten. Oh. Um, and so we ended up, uh, you know, putting the feather on the front of the book because it was so symbolic. But I mean, there were so many things like that. So many times where, um, as you said, Avi, Aviana and I also became friends after my dad passed away. Yeah. She's a very gifted psychic medium. Yeah. And there would be times where she would send me a text out of the blue about something and it would literally be exactly what I was doing. And, and it would be like confirmation that my dad was with me. And um, I had so many things like that. So it's like, for me, there's absolutely zero doubt that our loved ones are still not only present, but here and, and <laughs> I want to say alive, even though they're dead, yeah. but <laughs> they're very much alive. I mean, they're very much still with us. And if we want to find them, we have to think the way that they are. Exactly. You know, it's almost like, they're one frequency away. They're just one thought away. Just behind and the veil. Some, right, yeah, right. someone sense they're, they're really like two inches away from you. You know, mm -hmm. it's an interesting concept. Yes, absolutely. Serene, I have a question. Um, oftentimes when, after a loss of a loved one, family members handle the grief very differently. 
did your brother, your sister, your other family members, did everyone process it um, together? Or are you able to share your experiences? I know you and Sage have a lot that, you know, you both grew up with, as Oprah called the father of motivation. Yeah, I would say that we all have um, similar experiences, definitely not the same, mm-hmm. but I think because we were raised, um, you know, with such spiritual parents, our understanding of life and death has always been um, rooted in spirituality. Mm-hmm. And I think that because of that, for each of us after our dad passed, um, and for our mom as well, um, she's still alive, but, uh, you know, she lost her her best friend, essentially. And, um, and I think for each of us, there was this desire to discover him, hear from him, find him from this new place that he was in. And so we all looked for him, looked for the signs or looked for the messages or, you know, we're very open to that very much, um, like right off right off the bat, basically from day one of me finding out that he died, um, actually being on the call when he was discovered um, from very, very early on, I was like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to start talking to you and you better start sending me signs. Um, So (laughs) I think that we all had a similar expectation and a similar desire, but I think we all definitely, you know, had our own experiences. For sure. I, I love when you said, I can't believe you pulled it off. Yes, that was actually the number one thing going through my mind um, on the day that he died, which sounds so odd, but I just kept saying in my mind, I kept saying to him, I can't believe you pulled it off. I can't believe you pulled it off. Almost like it was a big hoax. Like, right. You know, he, you kept he thinking, this, this isn't really yeah. real. Yeah, but it was also because it was something that he talked about. You know, he didn't have a, um, he didn't really seem to have a fear of of death. It was more like an excitement for the next adventure or like a uh, an excitement for the next great experience or like returning to, to God. It was like he looked forward to that. And I think that, <clears throat> excuse me, because I had heard him kind of talk about that, you know, talk about death and spirit and all these things my whole life. Obviously, I knew that there could come a time when I could lose any any of my loved ones. I just never thought it would actually happen. Um, and he was always so dramatic. I mean, he was such a dramatic storyteller that, uh, you know, it was just almost like, I can't believe that you actually did die. It was kind of my feeling that you really did pull this off because, you know, I, I really kind of thought he would just live forever and that this was just like a a good game he talked, but that it would never actually happen. And so, it was, I don't know, it was a very odd phrase, I think, <laughs> to have going through my mind the day that my dad died, but it was the phrase I kept thinking, I can't believe you pulled this off. I can't believe you did this. Almost like I was like mad at him for doing it, for getting away with it. We're almost out of ta- time, Serena, but what was the importance of August 30th? The day our dad said that his life changed the day his life changed um, for the better, the most significant day of his life, according to his own words and his own writing, was August 30th, because that was the day that he found his father's grave with the intention of 
peeing on it. Um, he never knew his father. He never had a relationship with him. His father had abandoned him when he was uh, born. And he had spent 34 years full of anger and rage and hate toward this man. And so he finally found out where his father's grave was and went there um, with, you know, not good intentions and, uh, and left to go back to the car after, you know, cursing his father and stomping on the grave and all the other things he said he was going to do. And um, he walked back to his car and he felt something call him back. And he, he decided to go back to the grave and to forgive his father. And he said, from this moment on, I only send you love. And in that moment of forgiveness, of sending his father love, instead of carrying around that hate and that anger that he had for so many years, now he was coming from a place of love. His entire life changed in that moment. Um, he ended up, after that, right after that, that was August 30th, the day that he found his father's grave and, and went from hate to love um, and forgave him. He, that same week, he ended up quitting his job. He actually flew to Fort Lauderdale, Florida, which is where I live now. Um, he had been living in New York. He had been a professor in New York with tenure, and he ended up quitting that, giving up the tenure, flying to Fort Lauderdale, and he wrote Your Euronia Zone in 10 days at the Spendthrift <laughs> Motel in Fort Lauderdale Beach. Mm. 1976. Um, and, <laughs> yes, and that book went on to become the number one bestseller of the entire decade of That's the 70s. That's the first and, self-help book I've ever owned or read. <laughs> Very yeah, first book. I, I've read so many of your dad's books. Case. Yeah. Yeah, and so for him, he said that the most significant day of his life was the day that he changed his his view on his father. and. And as a result, and as a result of that forgiveness, everything changed for him. And he became a spiritual person and a spiritual teacher. And um, he was in an unhappy relationship then, and he ended up um, leaving that relationship and meeting my mother, which I wouldn't be here if he didn't do that. And um, everything in his life just changed. That changed his path. I took him down the who he who be who he became from that day forward. Right. And that was the day that he passed. That was the day that his relationship with his father changed forever. And on August 30th of 2015, he died. And that was the day for me that my relationship with my father changed forever. And I believe that I also had a choice. Was I going to allow his death to be the thing that makes me stuck, the thing that makes me, um, I don't know, just reduced by my circumstances or in a permanent state of grief? or longing for what right. was, or was I going to allow my life to become transformed and, and sort of revealed through the experience? And I had that choice to make. And, you know, I'm still, I'm still making the choice. And every day I still have to make the choice. You know, am I going to be, uh, you know, a, a victim of my circumstances, or am I going to be the one who chooses my attitude in it, chooses the chooses energy love. that I bring to it? Right. Well, right. You, you did a remarkable job, and I just... Would you like to tell our listeners where they could purchase the book? Because I think it's just, it's just a must-have. It's just a totally a must-have. Thank you. Well, yes, if you want to buy The Knowing by Sage, my sister Sage and myself, um, it's at Barnes & Noble, and it's on Amazon, and it's on Audible and Kindle. So all of the places where you can buy a book, 
it should be there. Thank you. I have Thank it you. on my iPad. I have the book. I have some I of the, the trunk of my car. <laughs> Just hand it to Your people. book is absolutely <laughs> written from love, and you've given a gift to us all. Serena, I don't know if you know, but my TED Talk was titled Fake News and How Your Brain Lies to You, and I love your chapter on your book that describes the importance of our awareness that everything is energy. Can you give us a couple examples of when we shift our thoughts, the energy of our life shifts as well? And I think you gave an example of clinging is not allowing, and I love that. Yeah, I mean, uh, it, I mean, it's it's just a scientific truth that it's not just a woo-woo spiritual maxim. It's a scientific truth that um, energy attracts energy at the same vibration the same frequency that it's operating from. So I know in The Secret, a lot of people got the idea that you can just attract anything in life that you want. Um, but I was sort of raised on a little bit different take on that, which is you attract into life what you are mm. and what you put your energy on or your awareness. It's just another way of saying your energy, your thoughts your feelings, all of those things are energy. Right. So what you put it on, you create. You become in alignment with. What so you therefore, think you become. And you, right, have, to, so and you have to feel it in order exactly, for it to Exactly, and you have to become yeah. it. Because yeah. if you are somebody who, my dad used to always say that if you are not generous when you are poor, you will not be generous when you are rich. True. Because generosity is not a result of your circumstances. It's a result of your character. It's like in the Tao, in the Tao Te Ching, they say the, the sage is kind to the kind and kind to the unkind because kindness is his nature. And it's the exact same idea is that, you know, what, what you want to attract into your life, you have to be like it. Exactly. And if if you are abundant, if you are somebody that thinks abundantly or that has generous thoughts or has a generous nature, the universe can't help but provide. It can't help but match that back. And so it's the same exact thing to be said, um, you know, to the idea of clinging to something. It's like there's a desperation there. There's the idea that you don't have it. If you have to cling to something, it's because you don't have a firm grasp on it. So you're always striving and never really like arriving essentially. Yeah. And, um, and I was raised to believe that anything you want to have come into your life, you must first place it into your awareness, into your thoughts, and then live from that place, become like what it is you are seeking. And scientifically the universe can't help but provide. Yeah, I agree with that. We will, Sherry and I really believe in like brings like. Absolutely. So much. We don't like drama or toxic people. <laughs> <laughs> no. Well, we live by n not judging and, and right. we don't have assumptions or expectations. And it's a practice. It's a hard practice for people to let all the, the ego that's within ourselves uh, not dominate with all the chatter, right? So we, we certainly um, live that truth ourselves. We do. Um, I guess yeah, one. I do too. And and yeah. and just just to clarify, I have to work at it as well. Yeah, it's and my dad had to work at it as well. And it's just life. Am, it's part of it. Yeah, and we're human beings. You know, we're spiritual beings rather having this human experience. It's part of the human experience to have a mind. Yeah, and the mind tells us a lot of things that are not true, but the more we stay connected to love, 
the more we stay connected to God, the more we stay away from our ego and, and, you know, not attached to all the things it tells us are true. I think the more we find ourselves in harmony with life, with the flow, with, with the universe. Yeah. And we're wired that way. Right. So it's, it's a, it's a, it would be a beautiful thing if we worked on that on children when they're younger. So that we can start that neuroplasticity early, right? <laughs> if we could. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. If, is there anything that you would want to add to the book if you had the opportunity? Good question. Uh, yes. So um, there's a whole aspect of myself and my life that I hadn't really come to terms with when I was writing. And so let me just say that a lot of what we wrote, I we wrote like two years ago mm-hmm. because there was an edit, you know, a publishing phase and an editing phase and then another editing phase. And, and so we were updating things, but I actually am sober and I have completely changed my life around because I had such a dependence on having my like evening wine, which would turn into two glasses which would turn into four and I I became so dependent on on alcohol that um, I got to a point where I had to ask myself if I was drinking it or if it was drinking me in other words could I actually not have it um, and I realized that that it had too much of a hold over me I didn't have like a big like fallout or rock bottom or something like you know I didn't have a situation that happened or a rehab or anything like that but I had an awareness that I was not connected to my highest self when I was um, when I was drinking, and I have gotten completely sober, and I'm I'm proud of that. And so I would add, I would write about that. I would add that in about the process of kind of deciding to stay connected to my highest self and admit um, that I didn't have a I didn't have a grip on it any longer. That it had a grip on me. Well, that's wonderful that you were able able to take your own inventory, do your self check, and make that change for yourself, because that's definitely improves your spirituality. Yeah, because I think that at the end of the day, you know, um, what's so important to have any type of spiritual connection, you know, it really does start with yourself and your relationship to yourself, and I think that your relationship to yourself depends on your ability to tell yourself the truth Mm -hmm. and so often we tell ourselves things that are not true or we tell our or we convince ourselves of what we kind of want to hear or what we want to believe and that's what I was doing and I think that any any spiritual growth means really telling the truth to yourself about yourself and um, and yeah, and so I had to kind of do that. I had to kind of take a look at at what was holding me back. What was I what was I buying into that just wasn't true? And it was this idea that I needed alcohol or I needed wine every day or every evening. Um and it was really holding me back. And I I feel as though, you know, it was just the the thing that was really holding me back was that I wasn't telling myself the truth about it. I was just in like a state of denial. And um, and I feel so much more connected to to God when I don't have to lie to myself or deceive myself. Well, I follow you on Instagram, 
and I loved your episodes with Susan with Sarah Renee. Oh, thank you. Yeah, that's great. I actually connected with her, and I'm having a reading with her in two weeks, and she's actually oh, yay. yeah, she's and she's going to come on our show in July. Oh my gosh, I'm so excited to hear that. She is phenomenal. She I is phenomenal. Had... I've done some of her meditations with her. She's incredible because I love guided meditations and breath work, and that's things I've been doing for many, many years, but I'm happy to connect with her, but it was through your Instagram page that I made that connection. So thank you. Oh, you're welcome. I'm so happy to hear that. I I think so highly of her, and I'm so happy to see her work out there. So yeah, that's great. Yeah, well, and we're really blessed that we have so many great people. And you, I think you know Sarah McLean, her work as well, because that's how yeah. Abby and I met. So, yeah. So, so we just we're just thrilled having you on. So, and we're just have a few minutes left because we could talk to you all day. Your book has so it's much like information. We could go through each chapter, eleven right? different. Books. We're going to plan a trip and just stalk you in Fort Lauderdale. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I, actually, you know, we're really not that far apart. I know. know I know. I know. And it's too bad that I couldn't come up there in person because I would have loved to do that. But, you know, I do have these three yeah, little no, kids. Yeah, Listen, it is, it is so hard. I just yeah, wanted, they are so much work. If, if, <laughs> as we end, is there any uh, takeaway, like one or two takeaways you'd like to throw out to our listeners uh, that's essential for us to know about the knowing? I would say that the thing that really, um, that's really important to understand is that no matter how much you may doubt it, you also have a knowing and you don't have to, you don't have to have been raised by Wayne Dyer to connect with it. In fact, who raised you or your upbringing or your childhood, it, it kind of, it has, I don't want to say it has nothing to do with it, but it's not happening right now. And so I, you know, for example, my dad, who was such a spiritual person, he was raised in a series of foster homes and, and raised feeling rage and anger toward a father who, as I mentioned before, who abandoned him. But he still had a choice to make. Right. And I think that ultimately it always comes down to our own, our own decision making about how we are going to go through our lives. So if you had spiritual parents or a spiritual upbringing and that has allowed you to stay more connected you know, to your spirituality or to your sense of knowing, that's wonderful. But if you didn't have a spiritual upbringing or spiritual parents, that's not preventing you from starting now. Absolutely it's not. It's not preventing, yeah, you from, from making that connection now and for deciding for yourself how your life is going to be from this moment on. And I would say that, um, you know, the knowing is, it's the lighthouse. It's there. It's, guiding you home in the darkest of nights in the most painful storms it is there but you have to look for it you have to make yourself willing to reach your hand out to it to open your eyes to it to to be open to hearing the messages from it it's like your intuition the more you pay attention to it the stronger it becomes that is so true <laughs> Yeah, but you've got to do the work, you know? Yes, Nobody right. can do the work for you. The yeah. more open you are, the more things come to you. Well, thank Keeping you so much heart. for sharing so much of your, in your in the book and today. You're just, uh, we just think the world of your family, you all are just a wonderful group of people. And I'm just glad oh, you found you your so peace. Much. You and your 
Your children are so cute. They are adorable and sages <laughs> children. Julian, I was watching Julian on her page doing so affirmations. Cute. So adorable. Yeah. yeah, he said, I am small. I am kind. <laughs> <laughs> it was so well, sweet. She's, she's having so another one any day now. So. Yeah. <laughs> But thank you, thank Serena, you so much, and we Serena. hope to have you back with us, and absolutely. hopefully you can come and join us in the studio. Yes, absolutely. Well, thank you both so thank much. Thank you so much. Thank you for joining Inspired to Be podcast, and we will see you next week. Have a wonderful, wonderful week.